going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is the Big Stupid Podcast. I'm Kevin. And I'm John. Ladies and gentlemen, today is the day you've all been waiting for. Ooh, what day is that, Kevin? <laughs> what, 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 what is everybody waiting for? Well, you've all spoken out on the intraweb, and you have chosen out of the 16 films... You have chosen for us to watch The Breakfast Club. Ah, The Breakfast Club. All right, all right. And once again, we have brought our good friend for about 30 years. Really that long? Jesus Christ. Wow. Our good friend of 30 years, film connoisseur, the man who introduced us to Kevin Smith. The man who brought me to see Forrest Gump. The man who sat next to me as I blew ass. The, the, the man the man who made me watch the Oscars one year, which is something I never watch. The man who at his house to Napoleon Dynamite. Ooh. The man. Just, just wake me when this is over. Who put me in his first, in his first film, in high school, <laughs> called Immoral Interest. I got an A on that project. I'd like to point out. They threw, you're welcome, by the way. <laughs> they, threw, <laughs> they threw me off a building. Ladies and gentlemen, Rob Nargi. Yes. Pleasures on this side of the phone, ladies and gentlemen. Pleasures all on this side of the phone. I am very disappointed that Troll 2 did not win. I think that we are missing out on an opportunity. I think that we have campaigns that have been going on. So if we had one campaign to force John and Kevin to watch that classic movie, I think you're missing out. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if we if we got to do that, Troll... If we do if, two, two for Tuesdays or whatever, like you were talking about. I'm telling you, it is a gem of a movie. Oh, I'm, I'm, if I can get on my soapbox for 30 seconds, because you know what? Everybody, every, everybody passed out on Roadhouse. I'm not even going to get started on that one, even though John freaking pissed me off earlier. Well, no, Ro- Roadhouse made it through the first round. It, the fact that it lost, Patrick Swayze should not lose to Jim Carrey. That's all yeah. I'm going to say in that sense. What world do we live in when friggin' Dalton, who thought he looked taller, Lost to Ace Ventura is just unacceptable. But but Troll Two is a whole nother experience, and I feel like society is not understanding the gem that is that movie. And I'm not talking about the animated movie that just came out a few years ago. I'm talking about the no, because Troll Two is so genius that John and Kevin will spend the entire show going, "What the fuck did I just watch?" And I think it is totally worth it. <laughs> just saying, just saying. Just saying, you pay it forward, ladies and gentlemen. I would honestly, if, if I was forced, if I was forced to watch Troll 2, I'm going to have to watch Troll 1 first. No, Troll 1 has nothing to do with Troll 2. That's what's so genius about the movie. You don't need to watch Troll to see it. And I'm telling you, like, it. someone showed it to me one time. They did a documentary on it. It's a brilliant movie that John and Kevin will just literally have to be tortured for an so hour like, and 40. So it's like Halloween three. Yes. 
has nothing to do with anything. Yes, because the other genius thing is there's no trolls. They're all goblins. Like I said, you're missing out on a jewel of a movie right now. All right, people, people, next time we do a movie review or a tournament thing, just write in Troll 2 so I have to watch this fucking movie. I'm all putting right? it in. I, 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 don't care. I don't care what Kevin says. That fucking movie will be on the next tournament. I'm telling you this right now, people. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Just, like, get used to it. That thing will be on my automatic permanent list until we freaking review it. <laughs> nope. You're welcome. You're welcome. That's bullshit. <laughs> Calling bullshit. Anyway. <laughs> I'm the captain. Oh. <laughs> He's got... He's gonna put it up like against Titanic and shit. <laughs> this fucking guy, this fucking guy pads the fucking tournament. He doesn't do it. I'm right. telling you, I know what I he's, don't, we don't, I, doing. I, I we it. know what you're doing. I don't I trust the voting. Up, I do not trust the voting. <laughs> I put up the show, put up the movies that are like that are the same. Yeah. Against each there other. There is no same with Troll 2. Sure there is we nothing that could compare it to. I'm what telling was Troll you. 2 up against? What was Troll 2 up against? Yes, what was Troll 2 up against? Conan. Okay. Well, okay, first off. <laughs> I, I don't, it was a little, a little fantasy. Oh, Jesus. How do you know? Because you haven't seen Troll 2. It's absolutely mind-blowing. It's about a <laughs> fucking troll. You no have. Goblins. It's not about troll. It, thank you. John listens. I'm just saying. I listen. It should have been up against Ace Ventura because it would have been closer to that than for. I'm not. You know what? I'm getting worked up now. <laughs> I'm just getting worked up, people. <laughs> At uh, least I post know. the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm going to watch it? the trailer. I'm, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to post the trailer and. I'm going to see if if people, based on the trailer, if they want us to do it, if they want us to review it. Oh, that's if a good we, idea, man! The if, shitty movie trailer get, review. I'm telling you right now. I'm just saying right now. It is May 26th. Christmas will be coming early if that movie is we're getting reviewed. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> telling you this. Telling you this. <laughs> I own two copies of it. That's how amazing that movie is. Wow. <laughs> Just saying, just saying. Well, anyway, we didn't <laughs> we didn't pick Troll Two. Sadly, well, the people didn't pick it. The it's people, not us. The people voted and they spoke and they wanted the Breakfast Club. Breakfast Club beat out Ace Ventura ninety percent. Wow, ninety percent to ten. Wow, fact, I think it might have been. Might have even been worse than that. Let me see. Final count. Yeah, no, ninety to ten. I thought it was. Um, I thought it was ninety-two to eight percent, but no. Well, you got to think. I mean, Breakfast Club is an iconic movie. I mean, totally it really is. is. It, it really is. I mean, how could like like I pick the movies that I like when when we do the tournament thing, and. There's times when you guys pick a movie. I have to vote against the movie I pick because I'm like, this is such a better movie. And it's like, but again, it's not about what's better. It's about what do you want us to review? Yeah, Troll I know. Two. 
I know, but but once again, it, it falls always falls back to what's a better movie. When I was voting, what? I'm like, I'm like, that's a better movie. I gotta vote for it, you know that. But it, that's what it turns into. So you know, it, it's 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 hard to like vote against the shit you want, but then you're like, ah, fuck it, man. I, I, I want to watch that again. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't think I voted for Breakfast Club in this one. I'm not sure. I don't. I didn't vote for the last one because I don't remember seeing it. But I, I voted. Um, I shit. I don't remember. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Well, this is the second week in a row that we that a movie won that I had not seen in a very long time. Uh-huh. And it took me to rewatch it to show the appreciation that I had for it. And kind of starting like a little bit is that like you know. If 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 you were to do the Mount Rushmore of high school movies, Breakfast Club is the George Washington of oh, it. like fuck. that that like you know IMDb and Rolling Stones picked it as the number one high school movie of all time. It is it's iconic and it's it's arguably and and you know I'll go out on a limb and say it's probably top five maybe top three best eighties movie because of the impact that it might have had. Well, I mean it's it it's the. When people think of the 80s, that movie pops into their head. When they think of pop culture in the 80s, that movie pops in their head. All the fucking John Hughes movies pops in your head, whether it's whether it's that, whether it's 16 Candles, whether it's friggin' uh, Pretty in Pink. Pink. All right. Um, I got a a weird thing to say about it now. Like like, like what Rob was saying, I haven't seen it in a while, but I knew what was going to happen from beginning to end. So there was no surprises, but I will say like, I, I like, I remember watching it the first time. I'm like, this movie rules. And then like, I watched it today. I literally just finished watching it. Well, actually about 40 minutes ago. Cause you know, we just started now, but um, I, I just, I felt differently watching it because of like mm-hmm. where I, where I am in life. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And and certain things, like like hit different, you know. I don't know if you want me to go into it now, but like like certain things where it's like, it's like wow, it's like I never looked at that point, you know. I just looked at them like doing stupid shit or running around the hallways and shit like that. But now it it, it, it like I, you know I've I have a kid that's thirteen, he's going to be fourteen in a couple months, and it's like I'm just look I, I looked at it so differently, and it was just like, you know it it. it hit me differently it's crazy when, when you think about it i've watched this movie my whole life I've, i must have seen, i can't tell you how many times i've seen this movie and and just today i looked at it totally differently yeah so. well i watched it a ton when i when it basically when it like first came out i watched it a ton when it first came out on hbo all right we re- oh you're old <laughs> <laughs> well i'm even older because i've we recorded it on VHS. What's that? <laughs> we recorded it and and we had a copy and we just watched it all the time. All right. During the summer that like we would wake up, put it on, you know, like all, all the time. And we would watch it like every day, fucking throughout the day, whatever. And growing up, I'm like, oh my God. Uh Breakfast Club is so fucking funny, and watching mm-hmm. it, watching it the other day, I had to Google it, and I was like, I was like, this isn't a comedy. <laughs> 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 and, 
And like, I remember watching it even back as a kid. I remember watching it and go, all right, well, it's, it got, it got serious in some spots. All right. But the overall tone of it is it's a fucking drama. And I didn't realize that until this particular watching of it. And I guess maybe, cause like I said, when I was a kid, we watched it and, and like all the interaction between them was fucking perfect. And all the lines were cool and you know, whatever and funny. And, and I was like, this is awesome. This is funny. This is hysterical. And so my entire childhood, I'm, I'm thinking this is a comedy. And then throughout the rest of my life, as I'm watching it, I don't sit down and watch it all the way through. I sit down and I watch whatever part is on, or I catch it when it was on channel 11 and, you know, <coughs> get to that part too. All right. But like, I never really sat down and watched it all the way through, like as an adult, I just remembered it from a, yeah. from a kid and, and refreshed whatever I saw, you know, as an, as an adult and watching it, I was like, this is a, this is a full blown fucking drama that was just so good that the comedy in it was amazing. And, and on point and where it needed to be and all of that. Well, I think the other thing too is is the the backstory in itself that comes with the movie and it with it. Um, so, in in a roundabout way, the the movie is told the the the, the backstory, the two parts of the backstory that really need to be addressed is from the standpoint of the writer director and the cast. So, when you take a look at John Hughes, John Hughes was iconic in the 80s and he really wasn't known too much he did a little bit of writing but his first real script that he was quote-unquote known for was a 1984 mr mom with michael keaton michael keaton and terry and and terry gar and martin mull and the thing about that movie which is very similar to um the breakfast club is that the concept is way ahead of its time because in 1984 the movie was basically about a dad who was that breadwinner who loses his job and he has to be the stay at home while the wife goes works. Well, we say that now and it means absolutely like a shrug. So that's why the movie can never be made, but ahead of the time, that's what, you know, that's what it did. Then he wrote his follow-up movie, which was um, National Lampoon's Vacation, which actually introduced him to Anthony Michael Hall. And those were his first two things. So his first two movies were really like right out of the gate comedies. And it was almost like the comparison of like Todd Phillips, who did like, you know, um, Road Trip, Old School, and, you know, um, Starsky and Hutch. And then he turns around and goes and does The Joker, which was a complete another 180 from what we were new, used to. So yeah. kind of a little bit of a comparison. Um, his first directorial debut was Pretty in Pink, but he pitched uh, Breakfast Club to the studio. And the studio didn't know how to pitch it because if you really lay the story out, it sounds like an after school movie. Like it's just a bunch of kids that go to high school and they're going through problems. I mean, that's what the, it is in, on paper. Yeah. So he kind of was writing that thing and he did pretty in pink. And if you think about the time of the eighties that the movies came out in which it was like um, meatballs, nerds, uh, revenge of the nerds, porkies mm-hmm. in which it was like this slapstick nudity running in bathrooms and everything like that comedies like this movie came in and they didn't know if that was going to mess up the whole hot streak of high school movies. So John Hughes, he went out and decided to go get a cast that he wanted. 
which comes into phase two, which was the absolutely perfect casting that he does. Yeah. You know, he had Anthony Michael Hall because he knew him from um, uh, vacation and he put him in Pretty in Pink. And so that's kind of how Anthony Michael Hall came in. And he was 16 at the time and he was actually dating Molly Ringwald. No, no, you put him in 16 Candles. 16 Candles, my mistake, sorry. Um, and uh, that that's the first movie, sorry. 16 Candles was his first real actor, uh, writer, director piece, uh, movie. And that's how he got Molly Ringwald, who if you were in the 80s and you were in high school, Molly Ringwald was your dream girlfriend. That was your high school fantasy girlfriend. And she was perfectly casted and it was almost like a backlash because it was hard for her to break that that mold that she had because she set the bar and she was also 16 at the time and then um emilio estevez who was probably the most well-known name because he had done um the outsiders and he had did a movie called repo man which was a little bit of a cult classic he was 23 and he was supposed to be and he wanted to make him a football player but john hughes being the genius that he was it goes well everybody plays football and wanted to make him into a wrestler and he got emilio estevez Ali Sheedy, she was also 23, and uh, Molly Ringwald actually wanted to play her part, but he casted her based on two movies. She did a movie with Sean Penn called Bad Boys, which she kind of based her character on Sean Penn, and she he was sold on her from a movie she did called War Games with Matthew Broderick. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Oh, my God. Which, that was a good one. Which is odd because if you watch War Games and you see her in Breakfast Club, you don't get the comparison until you get to the end of Breakfast Club because mm-hmm. she does that transformation. Not a spoiler. And the last one was, in fact, uh, Judd Nelson. Well, Judd Nelson was um, 23 as well. He was the oldest of the group. And Judd Nelson pretty much um, had the role that everybody wanted. Emilio wanted it. It was actually written in for John Cusack but they passed on him to give it to Judd Nelson. And that the world was going to be introduced to, you know, John Cusack in that sense. And all five of them. Um, So they were all perfectly casted at this one moment. Um, And it was hard to break off. And again, going into what Kevin said a little bit about um, Major League, the last time we did this, spoiler alert, previous episode, is the thing that starts off very brilliant is the uh, Don't You Forget About Me and there's a quote from David Bowie, which literally sets the tone for the 80s. And the first five minutes of the movie, you get no origin story. You just get your characters right out of the gate. Yeah. And it was a little bit like, I was, I was go going to bring, bring that up again this, this week with, with, you know, how you get it. It's, this is the drop-offs. You know, all, all the parents dropping off their kids to, to, to um, the, you know, Saturday detention. Go ahead. Right. And, um, you know, and each one of them gets dropped off and you kind of get an idea like Molly Ringwald, you know, the spoiled rich girl who, um, you know, you find out she's because they say it in the car right out of the gate. She's in detention because she skipped school to go shopping. And then they also rolled uh, up in a fucking BMW and shit, too. Right. And then you have um, uh, Anthony Michael Hall who's dropped off by his real life mother and sister. That's his actually real life mom and his real life sister in the car. Um, and he gets dropped off and then Emilio Estevez gets dropped off by his father who's like this tough guy he was the football coach in Rudy and he played one of the detectives in The Fugitive I don't know his name off the top of my head and in walks Judd Nelson who's just coming out of walking from anywhere yeah and then he came out of nowhere 
the car the car drives away and just reveals him and he just straight up walks right across the parking lot doesn't stop Ali Sheedy's car stop uh comes out of nowhere and almost crashes right into him he doesn't blink an eye just fucking keeps walking they stop short but he just like without even acknowledging that there was a car there just kept walking which is brilliant well, the, the two things, too, which is another thing is the setting of the school, because it's basically this could be done on a play. This could be done up from a play because it's basically set in one location. Yeah. Side note, the school in itself was actually the same school that they used in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which was also written and directed by uh, John Hughes. So they just kind of used that same location. Um, and uh, when they, you know, so they drop them off. And um, I once over one of the opening monologues read by Anthony Michael Hall, which basically sets the tone of the story. Because if you really think about it from the movie standpoint, there's not, the direction is not what you remember. It's, it's very basic with the direction on it, even flow. You know, he shot the movie from start to end. He didn't do cuts. It was literally page one was shot day one and it worked all the way through to the end. And, um, you know, he wanted to do a lot of rehearsals and everything like that. Um, and so when each character comes in, you get a flow of, okay, well, they have nine hours that they have to be there, which talks a little bit about how outdated the movie is, is because yeah. I think nowadays, that doesn't fucking if, you, if you told a kid now you have to go to detention, they would look at you like you're crazy because they don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. And then if you slap on, you have to be there on a Saturday, no child can comprehend what you're telling them. Like <laughs> I have to go there. I have to go to school Saturday and sit there wait, I don't get that. Like that doesn't happen now. So it's a little dated in that sense. Um, so, you know, and then you get the principal that comes in, uh, Gleason, um, his first name eludes me. He recently passed away. Who is Richard casted Richard. Um, Oh no, no, not Richard. That was the name of the, in the, uh, in the, uh, movie. Yes. Show Dick some respect (laughs) on show Dick some respect. Um, (laughs) and each one of, (laughs) each one of them enters and, the story begins and the story in itself is a very basic because the timeline of the movie is just a breakdown of how each of these characters, who they really are. And it's chipping away because you have the expectations of one, because they literally start on the first page of the popular, the athlete, the rebel, the nerd and the basket case. And they say that in the opening monologue, which is brilliant. And when we get to the end, I'll tell you what the most brilliant part of the movie is. Well, wait, um, I want to I want to um, talk about this. So in the in the very beginning, I, I was taking notes watching this and um, I said, don't you forget about me already. I'm hooked. So like if I if I'm if I'm watching this now, if I'm watching this back then, that song is just so awesome that it automatically just like. It, it gets me, you know. Um, uh, Shermer High School. I said thanks to Jay and Silent Bob. We know that's a fictional place, okay. Um, and I said the letters being read. I said if you're watching it for the first time, you don't understand what you're hearing. But later on, everything is going to become clear because when he's when he's reading it, he sounds like he himself is making generalizations about what what the what the teacher could see you know but um you're going to it's going to explain itself and um 
I, I really, I really do think that this reading of the letter is, is awesome. Yeah. Because they were given, because it, it kind of going with what Kevin says is the principal then gets everybody in there and says, okay, you have to write a thousand word essay of who you think you are. And it kind of goes back to the opening monologue in which Anthony Michael Hall reads this very monotone letter about who you think we are. And it's the tone that it's read is very somber as if it is to give us a automatic prejudgment of what we're about to see of these characters. So the storyline in itself is already presented. And it's one of those things where you have these five characters who would never interact before trapped in a room that need to by force to have a conversation with each other. Going a little bit on what John said, the first thing that stood out to me about rewatching this was the first time I remember watching this, I was like, Judd Nelson steals this whole movie. He's hysterical. He's the guy, he's a dick. And like, oh yeah, he's the one that everybody relates to. It kind of watching it recent, you know, more currently, the two most underrated performances in the movie is you know number two i would say is anthony michael hall yep who who really does when later on in the movie you find out why because he really does have a heartbreaking moment in the movie yeah that makes you tr really truly try to relate but the best performance in the entire movie in my opinion is emilio estevez because he tries his hardest that he has to be this one certain role and he does it the entire movie and when you find out why he's in detention, it's the biggest heartbreak of them all, in my opinion. But oh my, we'll without a doubt, without I, I want you know what? It's funny, like watching that today, like like literally today, when he went through his thing, and 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 as soon as he said who he did it to, and you know they flashed to um, Anthony Michael Hall, and they're, yes. like, you know, and they're like, yeah, yeah, he's like basically my friend dickhead you know and and the way he described it and the way like he was talking about how his friends were egging him on and all these things i was like oh wow i go this is bad what he did like it, it's and, and back then i was like ah whatever you know but now i'm like holy and, and, but when he said imagine that kid going home to his dad and telling him what happened that yeah. that fucking that like broke my heart and shit, you know. Well, I'm if like, you wow, if you really go back and rewatch that scene, the thing that's amazing about that scene though is he starts off and he says, and I don't again, I don't want to skip too far ahead, but like you know, he says in that scene where he just says, "Do you know guys know why I'm here?" and he says it with a laugh and he goes, "I I taped this kid butt cheeks," and then Anthony Michael Hall and he goes, "Do you know him?" and Anthony Michael Hall looks at him and goes, "Yes," and when you hear him say yes, you immediately see. His, his mentality and his entire breakdown happened because it now is a backtrack of everything. But, you know, like I said, it's a very brilliant performance in that regard. Um, but like, like I said, the, the, the thing about this movie is not so much the timeline, but it's the fact that these characters chipping away of who they really are because you start to see, um, you know, the athlete, the leader, and how much of a dick the, the principal is. When realistically, now that I'm in my 40s, I realize, oh, he was just doing his job. Yeah. <laughs> and I can fucking relate. But, but, but you know what, though? And I, I, and it's funny, I was watching it with my wife, and, and she was saying, you know, she's saying how much she liked the janitor. And I think a very powerful scene was when they're sitting in the basement drinking beers, and, 
you know, the whole monologue between or the whole conversation they had with each other was was unbelievable where he, yeah. he's like, these kids don't understand shit. He's like, how long you been doing this? 20 years, you know, whatever, however long he's been doing it. He goes, the kids haven't changed. You changed. You know, they're, they're like, he's like, basically like, you're not the same guy you were. Yeah. Like you're, a, he's like, you're a dickhead. Like, like, like nobody likes you. He goes, how, how would, how would you look at yourself 20 years, you know, you know, 20 years earlier, look at you now and be like, you know, what happened to you? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and you know, it, it's, and the fact that he's making $31,000 and come on, motherfucker, are you so fucking serious? No, but, but like, that's a terrible, that's a terrible salary back then, but um, it is now, but, um, but, but it, it, it was a very powerful scene where the school janitor kind of knocked this guy, knocked this guy off his pegs and being like, dude, what's wrong with you? You know, it, it's, it's partial. And, and it's funny. It, and it got me thinking that like, like no one's to blame. Like, like it, it's, there's no, right character or no wrong character it you know like at that moment i'm like there, there's like 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 nobody's right you know and nobody's right it, it was it's such a weird like thing that i was start thinking of i'm like you know like who's the bad guy who's the good guy <laughs> there there really wasn't any really? you know it, it, it was it was wild like the way the way i looked at it today it was just so different than back in the past well, there were character choices, too, because, you know, John Hughes was very known for them ad-libbing and making decisions and everything like that. And, you know, one of the unsung backstories is that um, Judd Nelson and, and uh, John Hughes clashed throughout the whole thing. In fact, side note, again, talking about the genius of John Hughes, John Hughes actually wanted to do the 10-year, the movie, what happens to them 10 years later. So when it came out in 1985, um, he wanted to do a movie in 1995, literally the 10 year progression. And he wanted to show what they would be like 10 years early. The problem was, is that him and Judd Nelson got such a bad chemistry that they could never work. And Judd Nelson really severed his career. Um, one of the things in the movie, which most people don't ever really talk about is because Judd Nelson kind of his character, Bender, he literally, I don't want to say cons, but he does things to piss people off because he hates authority because you find out that he comes from an abusive household and you realize that he looks for, he just is rebellious because he fuels off of that. So when people actually listen to him, he doesn't know how to respond. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the one thing that he had a gigantic argument with was Hughes is that when he's talking about his dad and he rolls up his sleeve and he shows that there was a cigar and, and John Hughes asked them uh, during the movie, he said, so does, did his dad actually do that or is he lying to get attention? And it was a huge argument that they got in and neither one of them could come to the agreement on that thing. So it was just kind of like character choices that they got into arguments about. And again, before we get to the um, group session scene is you start to see each character try to drop their guard slowly and surely. Like um, Ali Sheedy's character she doesn't say anything for the first 25 minutes of the movie. And the first words that she says is ha. Huh. And he's, and he says it, she says it at um, Molly Ringwald. And this is when they were all starting to butt heads because, you know, Emilio Estevez is talking about, um, you know, going to a party and she's like, I don't know. And then she starts talking about problems with her family. And you start realizing that he says, uh, Jen Nelson asks her, he goes, well, if you had to pick, would you be with your mom or your dad? She goes, probably just live with my brother. And you kind of go to the relation side of when Emilio Estevez says that he hates his parents and 
Ali Sheedy talks about how she doesn't have a relationship with her parents. And then you kind of look at this like abandonment that these kids had, which is a testament to writing because I mean, that movie's like 40 years old, almost going on 40 years old. And you see the problems that foreseen that kids are dealing with, you know, not to get on a thing, but we, you know, we live, we work in the educational field in which you see the same problems that are happening now that are more traumatic to these kids that was addressed in 1985 where it was brushed over. But, but, but I, I, you know, it's funny, like what you're saying, I thought of the exact same thing, like, like, you know, like, like the kids with their problems and, and all these things. And it's, it's, it, 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 it made me think it's like, like every kid has these sort of issues, you know, whether, whether you're rich, poor, whatever. And it happened back in the eighties and it's happening today. And it really hit me now because I have kids. Yeah. What the, what the fucker? Like, what am I doing? You know, I'm like, Holy shit. Am I fucking my kids up? You know what I mean? I'm like, a hundred percent. You are John. A hundred percent. You are no matter yes. what you do, no matter. Yeah. No, no matter, matter what, what you do. You do. And, 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 and you know, I'm glad you jumped in and said that. Cause no matter what you do, no matter how good you think you're doing, no matter how much you give them and no matter what, they, every kid at that age is going to hate their parents and is going to, you know, have these feelings that these kids are having. You know what I mean? And that, that's, you know, I'm glad because I was like, kind of like, I kind of got lost in what I was saying, but like, that's exactly what I'm saying. No matter what you do, that's what the kids are thinking. So, well, and again, it's, it's, a t- you know, you, you look at them as they break these things down because you think from, you know, uh, a Molly Ringwald standpoint. And again, you know, she's, she's a popular <laughs> one, you know, obviously she has everything given to her by her parents and, you know, he gives her sushi for lunch. You know, it wasn't even just a simple like brown bag. It was like he went and got her sushi. And and like in the front in the beginning when he's just like, she's just like, you can't get me out of this. Yeah. He's just like, well, you shouldn't go dancing. And he just gives her a hug. He goes, I'll make it up to you, which is like the worst parenting you could ever have. And you take a look at it from that that whereabouts. And go ahead. No, and looking at each and every parent okay they're each and every parent is going about it all wrong and each and every parent has major flaws Mm -hmm. let me go through my um i talked because i talked about the drop-offs i said claire complains that daddy couldn't get her out of detention okay and like you said, the, the, the dad is like, uh, you know, here's your, here's your bag and I'll take, you know, I'll take you shopping and, and shit like that. So she is spoiled to fuck. And, and like the dad is just going to keep doing it. Um, and you, and you figure if the dad really could have gotten her out of it, he a hundred percent would have. Whereas my parents would be like, let him fucking rot for whatever he fucking did. Like, you know, you, you did the crime now do the fucking time. Like you gotta, you gotta pay for it, you know? And, and not only that, not only you pay for it in school, you're going to pay for it at home because not only are you punished in school by staying there all Saturday, but now you for two weeks, you're fucking, you're done. 
And my parents didn't say, oh, you can't, no TV for, for a week. No, it was no TV for a week. No this, no that. You can't go out. Like fucking, I was on lockdown, right? So if I was in this movie, I'd have a lot fucking to say too, all right? And, and, and let me tell you something. My parents were pretty fucking great, but they were, all, they were also pretty fucking awful in certain ways, you know? And like, th- everybody's like that. Everybody's like that. You know, the, uh, John, John's parents were the most fucking chill parents. Like, you know, they didn't, they, they didn't give a shit like what he did. Like he, you know, and he was a good fucking kid. But I never took advantage of it too. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? I never, I always respected the fact that they were letting me do whatever I wanted to do basically. And I never, I never uh, took advantage of it. But, but are there, are there stories that you can tell John that you're like, they were fucking horrible. Oh God. Yeah. (laughs) So I mean, doubt without a doubt, (laughs) but you know, and it comes to Kevin, like going on the flip side, because I think the poll, like, the flip side of her coin would be Judd Nelson, whose parents literally don't give a shit about him. And he makes that very clear is that his parents, you know, and he, he does that in the monologue where he says, uh, you know, what's that like in your household? And he's just like, you know, you're useless, stupid. And every politically incorrect thing that, you know, you should not be saying, you know, he calls him. And then he does the impression of his mom, in, you know, saying something. And he simulates a slap and he goes, go make me a fucking chicken pot pie. And then, you know, Anthony Michael Hall says, is that really what happens? And he goes, you want to come over sometime? <laughs> and and now, you I, see the flip side of a parent that literally does not give a shit about his own kid. See, now I beg to differ because okay. I think the flip side of Molly Ringwald is Ali Sheedy. Her parents don't give a shit because her parents don't talk to her. Her parents don't... Um, because she said they ignore me. Yeah. When when she says the words they ignore me, I I immediately thought of Child Called It, where they Oof. there's a book called Child Called It where the par- the parents just the the entire the entire childhood just call the kid it and like don't really talk to her, talk about her, talk around her, right? And that's what's going on. That's what's going on with Ali Sheedy. And you could see it when the drop-off happens because Ali Sheedy doesn't have the inside of the car discussion with the parents that Anthony Michael Hall had, that that Emilio Estevez had, that Molly Ringwall had. All right. She gets out of the car. All right. The car sits there for a while. She goes to talk like, all right, so maybe... Maybe they're going to say, I'll see you later or, you know, God forbid, love you or whatever, or even say, get, go do your fucking time. They say nothing. They don't roll down the window, nothing. And they fucking peel out and take off. And she stands there like, fuck. Wow. Just like, and then now what I'm trying to good pickup. That's a good pickup. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't didn't pick that up at all. No, that's a good pickup. What I'm trying to say about that is Judd Nelson, as much as the parent, all right, as much as the father is abusive, there's a reason for it. He wants him to be a respectful person. He wants him, 
he wants him to he wants him to um you know to to know how to take care of himself to do the the right thing all right he's just going about it all fucking wrong he's he's abusive in the way that he does it all right he puts him down thinking that the kid is going to be like well i'll show you or like like he putting him down like that he thinks he's going to motivate him he thinks that's motivating he thinks he's going to get productivity out of the kid and that's not that's not what he's going to get so in in the dad's mind all right he's doing he's doing the right thing for you know or, or he's doing a shitty thing for the right reason well i think the thing that's also very clear is the 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 thing that i think that is another relatable a part of this movie was the thought process of at that age is my parents don't get me my parents don't understand me my parents don't like like i don't i don't know what's going on my parents are not and i think that's the reason why the movie resonated resonates as much as it does because it is there's a reason why there's five different characters with five different backstories on five different classifications i mean like if you really think about it moving forward how many times have you heard you know somebody say were you a jock were you you know the beauty queen were you the outcast mm -hmm. and this is the movie that actually set that groundwork for it yeah so i think that everybody is a relatable thing um you know you're not really just you're not two of them if that makes any sense you're you're one or the other and you fall into that category where you're just kind of like trying to make your way around it and you know when you start to see and and, and you know the other interesting thing is <laughs> is the aspect of the parents when they give them their lunches. Like, if you really break it down, you see, you know, uh, Molly Ringwald's got sushi. Uh, <laughs> you know, Emilio Estevez has a bag because he's carving up for a match. Um, his mom gives Anthony Michael Hall literally a, a, like an eighth grader's lunch. And <laughs> Ali Sheedy made her own, brought her own. Yeah. And Judd Nelson had nothing. So it, it, it's kind of like, again, this is the genius of why I think the movie works on so many levels and why it's iconic is that the little things that really start to add up is that you start to see people start chipping away. So when you start to see people necessarily attack their character, it causes a crack in them, which at the end of the movie, when you get to that group therapy session that they all have with each other mm -hmm. is overwhelmingly heartbreaking yet amazing and probably the most underappreciated scene in the 80s like it's just the genius scene um and again i know we keep re re going back to relating it to it but there's a little bit that goes on before we get to that um because you know the principal in a sense is basically supposed to be watching them and jed nelson you know takes the screws out and the door shuts and and the thing that's actually interesting is when um when he comes back in he asks emilio estevez to help prop the door open and uh and then he just kind of looks at it and he's just like you know what if there's a fire and he's like all right get this thing out of here what are you doing and he pushes it back and Emilio Estevez sits down and and he looks at me goes I expected a little different and the look <laughs> that Emilio Estevez gives like are you fucking kidding me yeah it's just it's just it's just it's so relatable in that in that regard um so you know when you start to see them actually start to are forced to talk to each other um, 
you start to uh, actually understand like, okay, well, I kind of know who this character is, but I don't. I kind of don't like understand what the hell did Ali, Ali Sheedy do to get here? And then you find out going back to what Kevin said is the reason why he's there is he has no friends. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's that she has no place to go. And, you know, <laughs> again, now, now, you know, now, now talking about the origins of everything. Now here's the interesting thing that I was thinking of. If Bender was such like a, like a dickhead as he is, why would he give a shit and talk to these people? About anything, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> and the, almost- the reason why I'll tell you why the reason why is there's a line in the movie. Not to interrupt. There's a line in the movie in which Molly Ringwald turns to Emilio Estevez and goes, "You know, he's if you just ignore him, he'll go away." And he, if you look at the way he delivers the line, he delivers it with a smile, going, "You couldn't ignore me if you try." And that was his trigger. That's my opinion. Is that was his thing that he said, "I got this," and now it is his goal. Because if you think about it, he literally goes down the checklist of trying to find everybody's buttons. Yep. Everybody's singles buttons. And that was his thing. He's like, that's what my goal is for these nine hours. It's not to write an essay. It's I'm going to piss each one of these fuckers off. Fuck up their world for the next eight hours that we're here. But but do you think his intentions were to piss them off? Yes. Or do you think or do you think it's that's what he like he wanted maybe people to like him? And that was his way of trying to do it. You know what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe that's kind of what he wanted to do. I don't think he ever wanted to do anything more than just continue annoying because he gives a speech about, you don't talk about my friends, you don't know about my friends. So he had his own group. So it's like, this is his thing. He is there because of this reason. You know, and <laughs> I mean, if you truly think about it, the ironic thing is, out of all five of them, he is the reason he's there is the least traumatic. It's the least dickish thing. He's just being him. You know, yeah. Ali, you know, Molly Ringwald skipped school to go shopping. Emilio Estevez physically assaulted and Anthony Michael Hall, well, we'll get to why he did. Yeah. I mean, like, he he's the least fucked up one out of the group. <laughs> like and, and you know, it what's funny is is that as we go on and start talking about like their characters and stuff. Judd Nelson Bender, right? When when you're a kid, all right, and you're watching this, yeah, he's funny, but you're like, he's a fucking bully. Yes. You know, and he's an asshole and he's a dick. But what's funny is, is that he's got a quality that I think is always the thing that makes a villain the best possible villain villains that don't lie villains that tell the truth all the time. Okay. They are, they are the ones that are to me, the most scary, the most, um, the most effective, the most fucking maniacal. All right. Because he doesn't lie. He tells the truth about, about everything and because he's such a dick and because he is what he, who he is everybody thinks it's a lie they're like oh you're you're bullshitting and he's like he's like no well no look i got a fucking i got the scar here you know like all the things that he says about about himself okay is the truth and he 
tells the truth about each and every person in that group. You know, when when they're all sitting around talking and 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 Anthony Michael Hall says, when we go back to school on Monday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. We go back to school on Monday. Are you going to be my friend? Are you going to see me in the hall? Because now we've been through some shit. All right. We've been through some shit. We, we've we've had this a common enemy in, in fucking Vernon. All right. We're, we're here. We're sharing this experience. We're breaking Drugs. down. We're crying with each other. When we get back on Monday, you're my friends. You know, are you guys going to continue to be my friend? And Molly Ringwald pre- basically pretends to be like noble by saying, no, I'm not going to be your friend. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just telling you how it's going to be. I'm the only honest one here. But she says it. She says the line. She goes, so I'm a bitch for being honest. Because if you watch when Emilio Estevez, she turns to Emilio Estevez and he even is hesitant to even say, yeah. And then she calls out Jed Nelson and Jed Nelson just kind of is like, he has no words because in a roundabout way, she has the point, which is no, the what, closest. What he says, what he says is, uh, yep. you're the worst because you know it's wrong. You're, you're telling us right here that it's wrong. And yet you're going to fucking do it anyway. But if you think about it, that's the one scene where Judd Nelson and Molly Ringwald switch characters because he is more compassionate to him and she is more direct and honest, which is, again, the genius of that scene. So I think that the fact that we keep going to relating to that scene, I'm going to actually start to talk about that scene because I know it skips a little bit. I know it does. One of the things I want to say is, and this is, this is just a, um, this is just an observation, but that's what we're doing. We're watching the movie. Um, <laughs> I feel like from the very beginning of the movie, <clears throat> Judd Nelson falls in love with Anthony Michael Hall. From the very beginning of the movie, there is there is this kinship that he feels with him. There is a like 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 all right you're a fucking nerd right you're a fucking nerd you're a fucking dweeb he basically calls him a dweeb you're a neo maximum dweeby all right you're a fucking dweeb but you're here you did something fucked up to be here so you're we have some sort of kinship okay for whatever reason you're here all right that makes us the same at least on on some level we're the same and throughout the throughout the thing he uses brian as the as the example like all like through the whole thing like he he goes oh talking about oh are you you're in this club and blah 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 and molly ringwell is like yeah i'm in lots of clubs and and you know you could join our club or whatever and Anthony Michael Hall is like, well, I'm in the I'm in the physics club and the chess club and like whatever, and Molly's like, well, those are those are academic clubs. Those are different. Those are different because they're basically academic is not cool, all right. And what he says is to him, 
to Brian, it's the coolest thing in the fucking world. And it's his everything. All right. Same way it is to you, like his his Saturday night is is doing fucking physics. Your Saturday night is going out on a fucking date or going to the movies or whatever, but his Saturday night is doing physics. So he's his love for that club is just the same, demented and sad. All right. <laughs> but he he basically kind of sticks up for Brian throughout the entire thing in a fucking roundabout, weird, backhanded way. He sticks up to him throughout the whole thing. If you, if you, I, I look at it differently, and not to not to disagree, but I will because you know, I want to. But the thing is, is that I think he is the least, he's the least threatening to him. So he's no challenge to him where the challenge kicks in is when he finds out number one, he can get to Emilio Estevez, which he gets to him very quickly. Cause when he, the second Emilio Estevez lays hands on him, where he's just like, you don't talk to her, you don't look at her, you don't do yeah. anything. He automatically knows because at that moment, they, those two are done. So he knows he gets where he starts to get Molly Ringwall is when he starts to pry about her sexual life, which by the way, will completely sidestep the me too moment where he tries to literally go down on her underneath the desk um but, you know that's i mean that's that's outdated but um i think the one person that he is most threatened by is in fact molly ringwall because he's the she's the one person that he doesn't know what how to get to her because he takes shots at her upbringing and she doesn't care and he takes shots at her and he seems to shit on her more than everyone else and I think it's because of that bully mentality of, I really like her, so I'm going to shit on her more than the other groups. Yeah. Um, like, I'm going to punch her in the, in the playground because I like her. Exactly. So I think that the fact that Anthony Michael Hall was never, Brian was never a threat to him. So I think that's kind of the reason why he never really, because he's like, this is a waste of my time. This is easy as can be. Um, you know, when you, when you start taking a look and, and when you start seeing them chip away, like, so when Bender says uh when they sneak him out because now the the principal who by the way is not very good at his job i like to point that out the principal is terrible at his job well who do, who the fuck leaves us uh, uh like a auditorium of store and library of students alone then goes to drink yeah yeah and then besides the point. And, and can we also point at the fact that these kids go and steal weed and they are smoking weed across the hallway from a guy who is the <laughs> like he's terrible at his job um now you guys terrible. keep calling him the principal i don't think he's the principal no he's a teacher i think he's just a teacher he's just a teacher oh sorry well he's, he's terrible at his job. <clears throat> he's, ter- he's terrible yeah. um so so like when you see uh them go get the weed because then the i start the uh, with the iconics because there's now the two iconic parts of that movie if you ever see the trailer or anything like that is when they go and get the weed and they realize that it's in uh bender's locker they have to try to sneak back and they're trying to avoid bumping into the uh the principal and they actually get trapped and bender takes the fall which starts to be more along the lines of, okay, well, these guys are starting to bond. Cause I actually think when they start to break out, you start to see a little bit more of the chipping off of the friendships. Cause he turns to Molly Ringwall and he goes, it's fun playing being the bad guy. Right. And you start to see uh, Emilio Estevez talk to Ali Sheedy 
And that's when Brian starts being more vocal and starts showing like, he has weed. He has weed. Do you believe this? Do you, approve? <laughs> like, do you, do you approve of this? And he, Amelia Estevez looks and goes, if you don't shut up, I'm going to beat the hell out of you in like five seconds. And, you know, when they get, and then they, you know, get back to the, um, to the, to the room, Judd Nelson gets kicked into another, uh, you know, he's held in a, in a separate setting room in which he basically calls out Fender, you know, the, you know, the, the teacher calls out Fender and he's just like, you, you know, you know, take a shot at me. Do you have any, any balls? No one's going to say anything. Take a shot at me. And Bender basically is called on his bluff and he doesn't know what to do. And it's the first time that we actually see a crack in his chain, but it's not in front of the other students, which is again, because Judd Nelson doesn't even say anything in that scene. It, everything is in his expression of a breakdown because mm-hmm. he's mentally broken down, but he still has to have that moment of where he goes back to sneaks back into the room which I don't know how that's physically possible, but he was able to sneak back into that costume and join with him. And which leads to probably one of the best scenes of the entire movie, if not one of the top best scenes of the eighties is when they have a, a moment that they were all smoking and they were all under the influence. And they all have that moment of just like that. We've all had that, like, you know, when you've had that post beer and you're sitting around with your friends and you're just reflecting on everything and you start to see exactly why they are all there. And, you know, Brian asks the question, he's just like, you know, are we going to be friends on Monday? And Ali, she, and, and Molly Ringwald goes, no, we're not. And you start to say, what a fucking bitch thing to say. And, and like, you start to see Judd Nelson and you start to see them all breaking down. And when you hear Anthony Michael Hall, now the thing about this scene, which is on, which is unkept is that, you know, a lot of that was improv that was not written by John Hughes. It was actually very improv by a lot of the characters because they did that in rehearsal. So a lot of the stories of the backstories that they had about the, their reason why we're there was actually written by the characters. So when Anthony Michael Hall turns around, and this is kind of goes back to what John said earlier about struggles today, where he said, you know, I brought a gun into a locker because I was going to, you know, I was going to kill it myself because I can't have a beat. You know, this is who I am. I'm, an, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm great. I'm nothing without my grades, you know, and I, and I, I can't have a B. My parents can't let me have a B. And that's something that is huge now that people deal with, not necessarily to the extent of bringing a flare gun in, which, you know, then you flash back to the start of the movie where they're cutting into the hallways and you're cutting into aspects and you see a, a locker that was complete and utterly trashed. Yeah. You know, that was Brian's locker because, you know, that's where the flare gun went off. Because Brian was going to kill himself with a flare gun, which everybody laughed at, which I still don't see the humor in that. But, you know, hey, you know, it, it is what it is. But, um, you know, when you get to Emilio Estevez and Emilio Estevez talks about what he did to get there. And John, when I were talked about it a little bit earlier, is when he talks that he didn't want to do it. He just wanted to impress his father because his father is like, why don't you do, you know, why, you know, I lived a, a crazy high school life. You should, too. And the scene where he literally breaks down and he says, I don't, that kid went home and had to tell his dad that I got, that he got abused by a kid and I got taped. And like, how do you even begin to apologize for something like that? And it's, it's heartbreaking to watch. And I think that's why Emilio Estevez kind of walks away with the movie a little bit is because, you know, you show that why he was the senior head of the actors is because of what he does in that scene. That's amazing. Right. So 
and, and John, I mean, like, you know, this too, is that like, you know, cause you and I play ball together. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, we did. I mean, it, it, it's so, it's just such a brush off that you just kind of look at it and go, hi, it's kind of funny. But then when Anthony Michael Hall, like he said, just kind of turns and goes, yeah, I know the kid. And you immediately reflect back to, you know, I, I don't know why I did what I did because that's just not who I am. Yeah. And, and again, you look at it from the point of view of these kids that is now like now this is struggling. And, you know, he turns around and says, well, we all have our defective. We're all def- deflected. We all have our flaws. Right. And, and Molly Ringwald goes, well, what's yours? And Ali Sheedy says, you can't think for himself. And he literally stops and goes, you're right. I can't. I can't yeah. think for myself. And Ali Sheedy, who, you know, earlier has this bag and she, you know, she's lied to them. She's, she's made up stories because she's just looking for, you know, attention. And when Anthony Michael Hall turns around and looks at her and says, are we going to be friends? You know, would you ever abandon me in the hallway? And she's like, I don't have any friends. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't have anybody I can talk to. Right. Um, you know, and you see them as they kind of make that adjustment. And you start to see them all chip away. And then you start to see Jen Nelson really lay into to, uh, Molly Ringwald for her comments about saying, like, why am I a bitch? Why, you know, because, you know, because I'm honest. And he's just like, because, you know, that's a shitty thing to say. You know that you shouldn't say that. And you know that that's just wrong. But you just want to go deal with your, you know, your drunk mom and your friggin' spoiled dad and your little shopping. And she says something that was very interesting. She says, <laughs> Which is kind of like sounds out loud as a laugh when she goes, you have no idea the pressure that it is to be popular. You don't because you set the bar for everybody and you have to do whatever other people says and you don't make decisions for yourself. So you just kind of go from a laughing like, oh, my God, what a considered bitch. And then you look and go, she can't make a decision for herself. Right. She can't do anything without someone else's approval for it. She needs constant approval. And, you know, so, so later on when she has that moment, she kisses Judd Nelson on the neck and he goes, why would you do that? And she goes, cause you wouldn't, it was the first time that she actually made a decision where nothing affected what her decisions are. And you start to see the evolution of all these characters. Um, and I know we kind of been bouncing back and forth a little bit on. Well, yeah, it's fine. It does, I mean, I don't mind the bouncing around. Cause I, I mean, I don't think people want to fucking you know, play by play of the show. I think they want to know what, what we think about it. Yeah, we're doing it. I, I, we're, we're right on point right now. I'm telling you right now. So when you, when you say that, that Molly Ringwald is, is, you know, can't, can't do anything for herself. Or, and I don't mean like she's helpless. I mean, like she, she has to do things that other people expect of her. Yes. The same, the same thing happens with Emilio Estevez. Yes. He, he, he says it himself. Ali Sheedy says it about him. Yep. You know, you can't, you can't think for yourself. You can't do anything for yourself. You have to, everything is, and, and that's why opening up that lunch, all right, he didn't pack that lunch. He doesn't want to eat all that shit. He's not no. sitting there going, mm, can't wait to dig into this shit. He's looking at it like, can't believe I got to fucking eat all this shit, you know? And, you know, um, and, and he's got to go, you know, I, I have I have a meet and I have this and I have that and I have to do this and you know there, there's all these all these things he, he can't he can't do you know because there are certain things that are expected of him. Brian 
can't do anything either because every decision he makes has to be to get that A, to mm-hmm. keep that grade point average up, all right? To a certain degree, Judd Nelson, if he wants to, you know, he he's comfortable in the role that he has played for years and years and years. So now he has to stay in that role. He can't all of a sudden, you know, this isn't fucking Greece where John Travolta decides to go and be a jock and, and everybody's like, oh my God, I'm so impressed. No. If if he tried to break out of that mold and go and be some something else, there would be a fucking riot. You know? So they're all they all have that problem as well, where they they are trapped in the role that they are given. Which again comes down to the brilliance of that script. And it's the brilliance of how he was able to relate to something that still holds the test of time. Again, I think that if you put that this movie in a classroom right now, in 2021, half the kids are going to be like, I don't understand. Like I said, I don't think I understand summer school. I, excuse me, detention. I don't think I understand what, what Saturday detention is. But when you start to watch them peel away that one scene, that's when you start to sit there and go, oh, yeah, no, I could see that. I can relate to that. I can totally get that. Um, so there was here, 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 uh, let me just say one thing. Uh, the one thing that I really, I think the biggest mistake in the movie. I was movie, just going to ask. I was just going to ask this question to you both. The, the biggest mistake in the movie. Hold on. Let me, let me uh, turn my camera. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, is the amount of food that Emilio Vestez was eating because he's a fucking wrestler, man. He's got to make weight. Yo, he's eating like, he's eating like, he's beefing up for freaking, uh, you know, football game. Yo, he's a wrestler. John, Sorry, John was in fact, John, you were in fact a wrestler, so I'm assuming this yeah. hits ground for you. Yeah, I, that's that's one thing that popped. I'm like, why would they give him that much food? That's a lot of food, man. We I ate lettuce when I was wrestling, yeah. basically. <laughs> anyway, so, sorry, go on. So, you know, before we get to the one discussion about what the one thing is, you know, the other thing that is we brushed over the character of the janitor, who in my eyes is the the conscience of the school, the the actual hidden voice of reason for all of them, because all of them start to realize that this is a guy that they don't ever pay attention to. But when he says, I'm the eyes and ears of this school, all of their attitudes change in that sense. And he even does it with the scene in the, where he's drinking with the with the with the teacher. Is that he says, you know, these kids don't change. These kids, you know, you've changed. You know, he is the conscience of everything that goes on in there. And it, it's an amazingly well written character that most people tend to brush over. Mm-hmm. And you know, when uh, when Jed Nelson says before he leaves, he goes, "Hey, man, I'll see you next Saturday." And he just kind of looks at him and goes, "Yeah, of course you know. I know you will." No. Because you know, it, it's it's. It's, it's funny, and you know, you look at it from a point of view going like, yep, and he will be there. Um, now, now is, this, this, is this Judd Nelson's every Saturday? <laughs> like, like for, the is he, mo- for the next two months. Yeah, is, is, <laughs> is, is he the savior of the youth? You know what I mean? It, it's kind of like, and, and I was, I was, I was going to you know, get to this point earlier, but is Judd Nelson, like I feel he's the reason this movie happened, not, not like him, his character, because if he wasn't in that room, 
not one of them would have talked to each other. That's a they good would point. have sat there silently for eight hours and just minded their own business. If he wasn't there, none of them would have spoken to each other. Well, they wouldn't have had weed and they wouldn't have opened well, up the, and discussed. But but the weed the weed came out much later. From the second they no, sat but, down, but that, he yeah, started but it. What, he started that's pecking. What brought their, that's what brought their walls down. Yeah, he yes. started pecking. So I guess the question is, is that we've talked because there's one aspect of the movie I did not work for me. But I'm curious, was there anything in the movie that did not land for you guys? <clears throat> Number one, the um, the whole argument that they have in the beginning of the of the like right away when Bender and Vernon go at it. Number one, as a person of authority, okay, and I I, I know this I know this as a as a dad. Okay, as a person of authority, to go to go back at a kid who doesn't give a shit, to go back and forth and and have a power play with a kid who doesn't give a shit, you're not getting any result that you want to get. All right, you're not you're not going to make the kid go. Oh yeah, you're right. I probably shouldn't talk back to you because. You know, there's a punishment coming that I'm not going to like. He's this is his life. This is where he thrives. So he's not going to give a shit that he has to come back. And then he makes this ridiculous. This ridiculous punishment that for two, two months. All right. I got you for two months. All right. No, you don't. Because no, no fucking. No fucking school is going to stand for what you gave a kid two months detention. Get the fuck out of here. This this kid's going to have uh, uh, maybe two Saturdays in a row and then fucking be, be done with them. You, you, you can't do that. You can't do that shit. So that's, um, that's one, that's one aspect. Um, and then I don't know. Um, the whole the whole fact that Vernon just fucking left left them to their own devices, all right? Because here's <laughs> the, here's the thing: it's terrible. You, it's terrible at his job. You can't you can't leave that door open. Then you <laughs> then you enter the fucking room. <laughs> you know, you don't go off and drink with with the janitor. <laughs> Well, I, I I think the drinking part was the just like a, a get real moment. You know, I think that's what they were trying to do, you know. Well, I mean, listen, I've heard stories where like, you know, they used to drink at like track meets, you know, back in like the 80s, like early 80s and 90s and shit, you know, like 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 that was like a thing that coaches could do. You know, like like I've I've heard of stories of teachers smoking in their offices. In the school, I have, like in the seventies and shit. You know what I mean. So, so that's not really too far fetched. But, but the whole fact that like he's like not in the fucking room, <laughs> it blows my mind. I'm like, like, you, like, what the fuck do you think's gonna happen? Yeah. <clears throat> Go ahead. So, 
well, my thing comes, my, my thing comes because there's, there's the thing that I, <laughs> the thing I didn't like the most about the movie. And then there's the thing that I short from the, um, the group therapy scene, there's a brilliant thing that happens at the end of the movie is my, my, my two problems is what happens at the end of the movie. So that's why I didn't want to, but the, you know, as, as you start to see the progression of these characters and them chip away and you really see who they are and you start to realize saying like, yes, they are. This brought them together. My biggest problem with the movie was there's no fucking way Molly Ringwald and Judd Nelson would end up together and Emilio Estevez and Ali Sheedy. I like to me, it just seemed like that was too forced in regards of, well, you just let your guards down. That doesn't necessarily mean your relation, you guys should be a thing right out of the gate. Um, I, I didn't like that. That seemed, it seemed more that it would be an open ended as they were all friends more than a potential relationship or love which I, I don't think it landed for me. That's my opinion. Um, because if in three weeks, Judd Nelson has taken Molly Ringwald's virginity, then this is all irrelevant because it doesn't, it doesn't land. It, in my opinion, it doesn't land. And I don't see how that relationship holds. None of, I don't see how any one of those, either one of those relationships hold. Um, I guess the one question I have before I bring up my favorite part is, which Kevin kind of brought up is, are they friends on Monday? Are they all friends? Do they all talk to each other on Monday? My opinion is yes, they are recognized as friends on Monday. The following Monday, a little less. Following Monday after that, a little less until. It's, oh, I, I was in detention with that kid once. Because to be completely honest, as Molly Ringwald was, that's fucking high school. Yes. You know, you're going to hang who you hang with. You're going to hang who with, with who you're comfortable with. Right. I mean, unless unless you unless they absolutely go out of their way to say Brian is now going to be hanging out with the jocks and they fucking like adopt him to be like in their crew or whatever or Molly Ringwald says all right Ali Sheedy is now part of part of my you know we're we're all going to go shopping and I'm I'm going to invite her unless that happens then no because you've got your you've got your click I got my click and that's it you know, John and I talked about this in one of our very first episodes. I think it's episode number five. Okay. And we talked about high school cliques. Right. <coughs> and in I was not brought up in that episode, by the way. And I was very offended. What, what happened? I was not brought up in that episode. And I was very offended. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my, in my high school, I, in my senior year, I'm on basically like the last day of my high school career i stood in my gym and looked around and i saw all of the clicks and i had no place because i wasn't a jock i played football all right but i also was on the bowling team 
All right. So I'm not a fucking jock. You know, I was also in the theater classes. You know, I also did fucking chorus, you know, um, I sure as shit wasn't in the fucking chess club. All right. But I was kind of friends with the people who were, you know, um, like the mean girls of the school loved me. You know, they, they weren't, they weren't shitty to me. They loved me, you know, um, the, the kids who were like the, the fucking dorks and shit like that. I was friends with them. All right. And those of you who are listening, you know who you are. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> no, but I love how, I love how the previous episode, you talk about the girl you took to major league. You have no problem dropping her name. And yet you talk, you refuse to cover for the nerds that you apparently. Kind oh, of there's, there's just too many of them. Um, oh Jesus! I just threw well, up you. You mouth. you were on the you you were on the volleyball team called the Question Marks. Yes, I was. <laughs> yes, I was. Yeah. All right. So, which was also on my right, So so so, do well, I get a chance to? Are you finished? I have another. I have another point that I wanted to make before. Um, okay. And when 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 Narji was saying about how he thinks that that Judd Nelson and Molly Ringwald couldn't have gotten together. Um, I, I don't know if you know this, but when I was in high school, um, you dated Molly Ringwald. I, I had a few girlfriends, you know, um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say, you know, that I was like a ladies man or anything like that. Um, but I, I had a, I had a couple of girlfriends throughout high school. You know, um, you know, just a few, you know, not we get it. Go to the <laughs> I get to the fucking point. Everybody oh fucking knows we're, we're oh. 200 episodes in. Everybody fucking knows. Uh, seriously, but there, you know, there were a couple of girls that. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Kevin, we get it. There were a couple of women. Shut <laughs> I'm making a point, douchebag. There were a couple of girls that did not belong with me. Just didn't. We were we were complete. We were complete opposites. We had almost nothing in common. But there was there was something there was something there. There was some sort of chemistry that was there. Okay, <laughs> that. <laughs> All right. There was some some sort of chemistry that was there, whether it was physical attraction or whether it was that we we liked we liked attacking each other, like you know, um, verbally, that turned into an attraction that way. All right. But like, yeah, I've I've had those relationships before, you know. But did they last? How long did they last? Yeah, but it's high school. It's not gonna. It's not gonna last. But yeah, that's my thing. That's my whole point. Is that like sooner or later, her life isn't gonna match his, and his life isn't gonna match hers. Yeah, but even even the ones that are in the same group, their lives are gonna be different. It's high school. Did did you end up marrying? 
<laughs> no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Don't be mentioning names. <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> all right. We don't need to get into names. We, right. don't, we don't want to get sued. You know, all, all the girls that I dated in high school, oh, Jesus you know, Mary. <laughs> I didn't end up with any of them. It, you know. So anyway. No, I'm just saying. John, your point before Kevin talks about the other girls that he was dating in high school. <laughs> oh my. Um, so I so so this is what this is this is what you know we're talking about. Are they still friends on Monday? And I'm gonna say absolutely not. All right, they are 100 percent not friends on Monday. Thank you. And 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 I'll tell you why. All right, or or I'll explain the whole situation where I think this whole experience for them was somewhat of an eye-opener where they realized there's other people in this world there there's more to life than you know my shallow rich kid friends or my wrestling buddies or my nerd friends or you know, the, the, you know, the burnout and the artists and all, all that crazy shit. And I, and I think what's going to happen is I think as they, you know, prog- like they'll, they'll never probably talk again, in my opinion. I don't think they'll ever talk. But I think they all learned a valuable lesson that the fact that Anthony Michael Hall cannot make a fucking lamp light up. All right. Prove to him that there are people that are essential in that area. And, and I, you know, and that's like a really huge example because he thought he was so fucking smart that he was, a, I'm so smart. My grades are so good and all that kind of shit, you know, in, in a way that's an arrogance as well. We look at him as a nerd, but once again, we all know those nerds are your bosses in the future. And I, and I think it was a big eye opener for a lot of them. And, and, and they may never talk again. They may, you know, head bob in the hallway you know that that one that one saturday they had the tension together but i really don't think that they're going to be friends again but i think they learned a very valuable lesson in that whole process okay so you know kind of getting towards the end of um the review the you know i was talking earlier about the 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 brilliance of it and the, the thing that is very brilliant, in my opinion, is the ending monologue, which basically what they do at the end of this movie is they have, uh, you know, they, you find out that Molly Ringwald goes to Anthony Michael Hall and says, listen, um, Brian, we need you to write the, the, the reason why we're here. Because at the end of the day, all of them had to write a letter about who they thought they were. So she goes to Anthony Michael Hall and says, Brian, you know, could you write the letter for us? And he just kind of reluctantly writes it. So as he's writing it and you start to see them leave the school, you hear him tell the, you know, read the exact same letter at the start of the movie at the end. And the brilliant part about it is when he starts to talk about, you know, a brain, you hear Anthony Michael Hall or you hear a jock, you hear Emilio Estevez say jock and Judd Nelson say basket, uh, you know, reb, uh, you know, rebel. And, uh, you know, Molly Ringwald say a process, you know, and you hear the characters inflect who they are supposed to be. And at the end, 
when you hear, you know, sincerely the breakfast club, you see the iconic ending because that ending is very iconic for the eighties with Judd Nelson, who um, as they're leaving, you see that Ali Sheedy and Emilio Estevez are potential of actually going to go out. And uh, Molly Ringwald tells Judd Nelson, you know, she gives him his earring and he puts in and, you know, it's the implication that the two of them are going to try to see each other. And he has this moment where he walks out where he does like, you know, does a fist to the sky and it's that freeze frame of the ending movie, which again, I, I mentioned is that if you bring up iconic moments of eighties movies, that is one of them. That is top 10, you know, you know, drop the mic home, walk off home run of that movie ending. So, you know, and we talked a little bit about it when we saw, when we reviewed Terminator, uh, excuse me, total recall and we reviewed Major League. The question that I ask you guys is, do you think this movie holds up? 100%. Well, okay, 98%. Because, like you said, they don't... Kids today... You know, they understand the concept of detention, but they don't understand what it, what it really means. You know? They've, they've never had it. They, they don't they don't understand what it really means to have detention and especially for that long but a hundred percent this movie holds up because the the idea of the idea of clicks the idea of groups the idea of tribalism all right that doesn't change it's still it it's still there today it'll be there 20 years from now it was there 20 years before this movie was made. Okay. And it'll still be there 20 years from now. It, it's, it's the idea of it holds up and being a teenager and having your hormones race through your body. And I don't mean like horny hormones. I mean, like your, your everyday, like ups and downs, right? Like things that affect you as a kid. You know, and I've said this before on the show, you know, you're, you know, you, if you're having a bad day, it's the worst fucking day you could ever possibly have when you're in, when you're a teenager, if you're having a great day, it's the best possible day you were ever going to have. Okay. If you're dating this, if you're dating somebody, they are the be all and end all of your life and that you're going to end up marrying them and, and whatever, and you're going to break up next week. Okay, so your hormones are raging as a teenager. So the the despair that these kids feel in this film, kids are going to feel that 20 years from now. They're going to feel that today. They're going to feel that 30 years before the movie was made. John, to you. Yeah, yeah I think I think this movie will hold up for a very long time. And I'll tell you why. I think there are still some schools that do detentions. Maybe not Saturday detentions, but like, like there are some schools, especially like the district that my kids go to. Like, like in 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 the high school, they have three hour detentions. Like they do have a big chunk of time that they'll take away from the kids, so they'll definitely do it. But but you know, but but the, the concept of like that detention is a little bit off. But 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 
And you also got to think about it too, that there were no cell phones in, in this particular movie, obviously, because it was 1984 or 85 or whatever it was. In a regular detention, I can't see any teacher allowing a kid to use their phone. Now, w- once again, all the kids should be supervised. So let's say that they had to drop their cell phones in a box mm-hmm. and the teacher walked away. These kids would be forced possibly to talk to each other. You know, now, usually, let's just say the detention will probably be a group of kids that all relate to each other or probably all just did it, you know, whatever. But there may be a situation where there might be one kid in there that is not a regular detention goer, you know, where they cut class or they did, you know, whatever the hell it was. But but um, I, I think the problem, like you said, the problems that the kids are going through are the problems that most kids go through and the hormones of a teenager. And I'm going through it now with my kid. This kid is a fucking mess. And I, I have no idea what the fuck is like. I can't remember being 13 or 14 and, and with the. With, with the fucking roller coaster of emotions. One day he's crying, and then he's being a dick, and then he's yelling at my wife, and then they're fighting. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? You know, and I can only imagine what's going to happen in, in another year or two. It's going to be miserable. So, uh, whoo, but the movie holds up because I still think there are social groups, and I do think people need to learn how to relate with others that are not like you. Cause I think everybody has a role in society. Every, everybody has their skill. Everybody has their talents. Everybody has the thing that they're going to do. And, and, and I do think there there's needs for everybody. And, you know, like we, our conversation yesterday with uh, um, um, Lorenzo, like the fact that he spends a lot of his time talking to the, like he, the, we, we did an interview yesterday with an actor for anybody that's just listening for the first time today, you know, cause we have a huge audience. I mean, you can go back one uh, week and listen to the episode. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll see that this guy spends a lot of time talking to not just the cast. He talks to the crew, you know, and he said, without the crew, none of this happens. None, none of the, you know, magic that you see in movies happens without them. And he's very friendly to them. He's very nice to them and all these things. And once again, I think, I think <laughs> what he said yesterday is I think what they wanted people to get out of this movie is that all these people are going to grow up and eventually contribute to society. And I think this experience is something that, that they are going to take with them into the future and be like, Oh shit. I remember that guy, Brian. Oh shit. I remember Bender. He's probably building this shit right now. Or I remember the jock who's probably multi-talented doing a couple different things, you know, and you know, whatever is going on, you know, but it's, it's, you know, it's setting them up for the future. So, so that, that, that's, that's basically what I got out of it. So, 
to sum up, <clears throat> we're going to watch Trolls 2, correct? <laughs> <laughs> Troll 2. That's what I got out of that's what I got out of this discussion tonight. That's just that's what I got. I'm wow. sure that's what wow. the viewers got. Wait, wait, that wait Troll to... 2 is, <laughs> is literally wait, on the horizon. Way to ruin the deep moment we got from this movie. <laughs> In our 40s, we're watching the movie. Oh my god, you fucking suck, bro. <laughs> okay. You don't know if there are deep moments in Troll 2. Unless I, I, you fuck see. that. All right. We uh, we're gonna watch Troll 2 ASAP and we're gonna do a show on it. That's what I want. All right. Every movie I put in the next tournament bracket is going to be Troll 2. I'm going to put up six Troll 2s so it can't lose. From your lips to God's ears. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> what are you going to do when it loses six times? <laughs> well, what if the fans pick it? What if they pick it? I swear to God, if we go like 12 Troll 2s and like friggin', I don't know, like Grease 2 and Grease 2 fucking wins. I'm quitting. I quit. I quit. <laughs> oh, he said Grease 2. Oh, shit. But Grease 2 was kind of amazing. And, and that's the Grease I actually like. <laughs> Grease, Grease 1 sucked balls. Grease 2 was awesome. Um, so what's your... Are what's, we really getting into the debate on Grease? Oh, oh, we can. We, we can do it for another time, though. Because we've already <laughs> been uh, at least two hours, <laughs> dude. So. We got we got all psychological on the shit. We didn't talk about the fuck. We talked about the psychology of the movie, yeah, more I, than the fucking movie, which I think is fucking cool, man. I because I thought, yes. I thought we were gonna be talking about like the the iconic lines and shit like that. We, fuck no, <laughs> man. We fucking went deep. <laughs> so and what, so what's the your silver thing? lining is. We've opened the we've opened the discussion for Troll Two, but <laughs> what is your but, take, Goddammit? Do you think this movie holds up? It's <clears throat> this movie is iconic and it deserves all the praise that it gets. And We're talking about despite the fact that it might be out. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, it's good. <laughs> So go ahead. I'm just saying. So Troll 2, it <laughs> takes place <laughs> in a town called Knob Goblin. We don't That's have not a, a lie. Man. I'm not lying. Oh, okay. Knob Goblin. <laughs> really? Really Knob Goblin? I'm telling you, man. I am. <laughs> that's what that's what John does. Good <laughs> <laughs> <No> one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Fucking shit. <clears throat> Why do I do this? George? Can we see what does it? All right, does it yes. hold up? 100%. Go 100%. <laughs> That's it. Um, no, I, I think it holds up for the same factors as what we, we kind of talked about earlier when you see that these were the characters that defined high school kids today. The categories that they live, that, that, that they get classified the backstories and the problems. So 100% that this was a bar that truly does 
hold up that I think if there was a kid that was truly struggling, I'd be like, throw this movie on. You'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. But what you know what? You know, what's weird, though. Like our school is kind of weird that we went to like where like our nerds were like scary. They, they were all they, like in my senior year, the guys that you would consider like the nerds were all black belts in like karate and shit. So like like there was no yeah. fucking with them because you're not going to take protect themselves. You're, no, no. They were they were legit black belts and you're like not going to fuck with them. I remember one time George was like, yo, yo, Franco, let me get your homework. And he's like, nah, man. He's like, yo, come on, let me get your homework. And he's like, nah, man. And so George was like, come on, man. He tried to, and fucking Franco stood up, fucking stance, and he was going to fucking kick him in the face. And George's like, nah, nah, I was fucking with you. But, but, you know what? The other but, thing that's but, scary. But, it, but it's true, though. It, like, they, they were like, it was like Bizarro World, where it's like the, like no one fucked with them, cause they, cause they knew that if you fucked with the really nerd, the the like the nerd that couldn't defend themselves, you got the fucking ninjas that are gonna come fucking come. It was like crossed. All the wires were crossed. It was fucking weird, man. Anyway, but they were. But once you. again, like like I'll, I'm just gonna like one what also say that from like what Kevin said, I was friends with everybody. Like, like I wasn't, I didn't really fit the groups that people probably were, you know, saying, out, you know, so, <clears throat> so once again, I was cool with them. Anyway, go on. Well, I was just going to say the one thing that was truly scary were the trolls because what they essentially do uh, in Troll 2, <laughs> I get, I don't appreciate the eye rolls. I'm just telling you this right now is because I'm trying to give you a gift. Are you are you talking to our <laughs> listeners because they're all fucking eye rolling? I think that, no, they they don't see what I they don't see what I see because I'm on a gonna, video conference. They're not going to see it because nobody's going to well, watch me, the fucking movie. Well, let me paint let me paint the picture of what I see is yeah. I see beauty being spewed spewed upon you guys and you guys are eye rolling and not accepting the fact that there is a I muted him. <laughs> no, I don't mute him. Come on, my dog. Come on, don't do that. <laughs> hey, he muted you. That's fucked up. Don't, don't go. Don't, you know there's a, mute, there's a mute me all you want. The people want to see it. I'm telling you. You can right, so, mute me, but you can't mute Troll 2. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so you say there's a beauty. To Troll 2? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what was it? Uh, dude, to be continued. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Who Who's in it? And nobody. There are no names. <laughs> I'm... I, I don't think you understand the magnitude of the brilliance of this movie. I don't think you get it. And that's the problem. That's the problem is you're shutting doors when you don't even know what's in the room. I'm just saying, I'm just saying you are can't you smoke getting, the cigarette without the tobacco. You, I'm just saying. Are you getting pulled over? No, I'm not getting pulled over. I think guy just has his high beams on me. Oh my. That's, it. that's, so, that's so all we, I say. So are we done? I think so. Yes. 
Yes. Did we uh, did we milk this for all it was worth? I don't think we milked I think, it. I th- I think we did a good job. Yes. I don't think we milked it. So no, I mean like we squeezed everything we we're gonna get out of it. What troll two? Oh yeah, definitely. Let me tell you a little bit about troll two, my friend. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, that's gonna do it for us here at the Big Stupid Podcast. Um. So yeah, I'm telling you, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put the trailer up. I'm gonna put the trailer up, and people are gonna vote. If we should review it and watch it, we should review it and watch it. Well, how the fuck are we gonna watch it? Like, where is it, John? I have a copy. I will mail to you. It is a gem. I'm telling you. Are you also gonna? I don't want to give it back. Are you also gonna mail us a VCR? It's (laughs) a laser. I have it on Blu-ray. I have it on Blu-ray, my friend. Stop! Oh my god. Oh. I, I might, I might, I might spend the dollar ninety nine on Amazon and just buy it. I'm just saying, Columbus wasn't looking for America, and he found it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Look at us now. <laughs> so I'm wrapping this up. I wrap this shit up. All right, oh ladies and gentlemen, it's going to do it for us here at the Big Soup Podcast. We are talking about. What the fuck was the movie? Ah, oh, Breakfast Club. That's it. Breakfast Club. All right. Um, does it still hold up today? All three of us believe that it does. Will you? Uh, would you suggest this to somebody to to watch? I believe the yes. is yes, hundred percent, hundred percent for all of us. Um, yeah, Breakfast Club. You guys chose it. We we watched it. We will be doing another one next month. All right, so be on, be on the lookout for that. We're definitely not watching Troll 2, so, you know, be ready for the tournament. <laughs> you, know, you know what we'll do? We'll, we'll record an episode, and then I'll never put it up. What, a Troll 2 episode? Oh, no, no. Listen, if I'm going to watch that shit movie, if I'm going to watch that shit movie, we're fucking putting it up. It's a payoff. And we're going to repost it every other week. Saying, in case you didn't hear our review on Troll 2, here it is. All right, guys. So, uh, yeah, that's going to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you one more time to Rob Nargi. Yes. On. Thank you. Our thank you. Connoisseur. Um, so, yeah, that's going to do it. Uh, if you are looking for us, all right, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. And on Facebook and Instagram, we are Big Super Podcast. And on Twitter, we are also Big Super Podcast, but on Twitter, there is no, no I in, in, in stupid. Uh, if you're looking to give us an email, if you're looking to send us an email, send it to bigsuperpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you think about the show. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Tell us, hey, uh, please don't ever watch Troll 2 and, po- and post that up. Um, Jesus. All right. <laughs> Um, if you want to give us a call, uh, give us a call at 201-338-0098. Uh, that's our big stupid hotline. You can call us and say, Hey, listen, um, if you review troll two, I am never going to listen to the show again. I'm going to tell all my friends not to listen. All right. I mean, you can do that. All right. That's, it's up to you. It's your prerogative, but, 
Um, that's our that's our phone number here at the Big Stupid Podcast, Big Stupid Hotline, 201-338-0098. Uh, so, yeah, that's going to do it for us here, reviewing The Breakfast Club. John, you got anything else you want to say? Hey, have fun, everybody. Have fun. You've been listening to the Big Stupid Podcast, presented in part by Anchor. Interested in becoming a podcaster like us? Anchor has everything you need to make a podcast all in one place for free. Check out anchor.fm today. Our theme music is licensed from BKFM Music Production through Audio Jungle. Visit audiojungle.com for all your royalty-free music and sound needs. Further promotional considerations provided by PowerPod. Guests of the Big Stupid Podcast received no compensation for their time opinions, or any half-baked theories. If you think you can handle being part of the show, visit our social media sites and message us, or email John and Kevin at BigStupidPodcast at gmail.com. Not good enough for you? Okay, Mr. Big Boy Pants, you can call 201-338-0098 and leave us a message, and maybe we'll play it back on our next episode. Participants waive all rights to anything resembling coherence and or common sense. The Big Stupid Podcast is a production of Party Boss Productions Unlimited. No portion of this podcast may be repodcasted or otherwise transmitted in whole or part without the expressed written consent of Jen. It's on you to figure out which one. Good luck and have fun.